Good morning, church family, and a happy Thanksgiving week to you all. However, before we get to the hustle and bustle of this wonderful holiday, why don't we all at this time simply open our Bibles up to the Gospel of Mark, specifically to Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, or where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ calls a man by the name of Levi to follow him which comes immediately following the riveting first section of chapter 2, or where Jesus Christ healed a paralytic. And I say that because, as we have seen throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ has displayed quite clearly that he absolutely has the authority to heal people, to cure diseases, and to cast out demons. For as we saw in chapter 1 alone, church, Jesus Christ, He healed a man with an unclean spirit in verse 26, healed Simon's mother-in-law in in verse 31, healed many others who were sick and casted out many demons in verse 34, and then concluded chapter 1 by cleansing a man with leprosy in verse 42. However, then, church, as we opened chapter 2, we not only saw Jesus Christ heal a man physically with paralysis, But even more importantly than that, we also saw Jesus Christ heal this man spiritually, in that he, Jesus Christ, forgave him of his sins, cleansed him of his sins, pardoned him of his sins, so that this paralytic man then would no longer have to bear his sins, but instead would be eternally saved from his sins. However, in making the statement in chapter 2, verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven, Jesus Christ then, well, he caused quite a stir, especially among the religious leaders and teachers of the day who believed, as verse 7 put it, that only God could forgive sins. And to be honest, church, they were right and that only God could forgive sins. However, what they failed to recognize and to grasp here is that this man named Jesus Christ, that he is truly God. And thus, although Jesus Christ went on to instantly and completely heal this man physically as a way to confirm and validate and authenticate that he also healed this man spiritually, therefore proving that he himself must be then truly God, unfortunately, church, that did not satisfy the scribes. And thus, we, as we will see again today, The scribes here, the hard-hearted, hard-headed, and prideful scribes, well, they will make another appearance in our text this morning. However, this time, it's in order to confront and to question and to oppose who Jesus Christ is associating with and who Jesus Christ is ultimately calling to himself, which at this time, church, takes us to our thesis statement this morning or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ did not come to call those who believed that they were righteous, but instead he came to call those who knew that they were sinners. Jesus Christ did not come to call those who believed that they were righteous, but instead he came to call those who knew that they were sinners. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 2 this morning, verses 13 through 17. And if you are joining us today and do not own a Bible, 
then please feel free to grab a church Bible, which are located in the chairs in front of you, and to turn that Bible to page 837, again, 837, and join us as we as a church body hear the infallible word of God together this morning. For again, we are in the Gospel of Mark this morning, chapter 2, and looking specifically at verses 13 through 17, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, He went out again beside the sea, and the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, how gripping of a verse that is, that Christ came into this world not to call the righteous, not to call the self-righteous, but sinners. Lord, let that statement pierce our heart this morning. Let it be the meditation of our minds as we leave here today. Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, that Christ came not to call the self-righteous, but sinners. Father, I pray that you be with my brother Ricardo, who is up at Steelton this morning, preaching and feeding that dear flock. Lord, I pray that you give him clarity and insight as he encourages them, exhorts them, and builds up that dear body in the unity of the faith in Jesus Christ by preaching to them nothing other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, I also pray for all the other churches in the surrounding area this morning as well. Lord, that you be glorified in each one of those buildings. Lord, that the gospel is unapologetically preached throughout your county. Let's do this work here, but throughout all the churches in York, we pray. And Father, this morning, I pray that you help my lisping, my stammering tongue to be able to communicate your word clearly to this dear flock, to each one of these dear individuals today. Lord, let them see the beauty of your grace. Let them see your willingness to come down to meet us where we are at and to call people who the world rejects, who the world calls sinners, depraved, too bad for the world. That is who you call to yourself so that no one may boast. Give us a clear insight this morning, Father, of exactly the power of your grace and let us have a heart of gratefulness because of it. Let that be the message I communicate well to this flock for their good and for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, for it is by grace alone, Christian, that any of us follow Jesus Christ. For it is by grace alone, Christian, that any of us follow Jesus Christ. 
verses 13 and 14, which reads, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So after preaching in front of a packed house in Capernaum, Jesus Christ then decides to take his preaching and his teaching ministry on the road, if you will, and to go out, verse 13, beside the sea, the sea as in the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee in order to begin teaching there. However, church, being that we left off last week in verse 12, with everyone being amazed and glorifying God after Jesus Christ healed the paralytic and saying things like, we have never seen anything like this. And being that Jesus' fame and popularity just continues to grow and to grow and to grow, Jesus Christ still then, in verse 13, he attracts a crowd, even at the Sea of Galilee. And thus this crowd of people, church, who were coming out to Jesus Christ on this occasion, they were likely then just walking with Jesus Christ along the shores of the Sea of Galilee as he was teaching them. However, as Jesus Christ was walking and teaching here, he sees in verse 14 a tax collector or a man by the name of Levi just sitting at his tax booth. Now, a little background information here on this individual named Levi or on the disciple that we commonly refer to as Matthew, which are, church, just two names for the same person. Nevertheless, this man named Levi, to put it lightly, church, he was despised, detested, and absolutely abhorred by just about everyone within this Jewish community. And the reason for that was, as Daniel Aiken explains, Tax collectors during this time, they were kind of like a mafia organization who served Rome and who acted kind of like dishonest IRS agents by overcharging the Jews in taxes all for their own personal benefits. So long story short, Levi the tax collector, he made a good living church like a really good living simply by lying to people, taking advantage of people, taking more money from people than they actually owed, and then stealing that overcharged money from those people. And thus to say that the first century Jews did not like their local tax collectors, I mean, that is the understatement of the day. For the Jews' church, as numerous commentators have pointed out, they literally banned tax collectors from their synagogues, wouldn't invite them into their homes and ultimately viewed them much in the same way that they viewed thieves and murderers. And yet, as Jesus Christ passed by this man named Levi here, Levi the tax collector here, Levi the despised here, Levi the first century mafia gangster member here, Jesus Christ, he stops and he says to him here in verse 14, follow me which would have absolutely shocked and astonished and stunned just about every member of the crowd on that day who would have seen Jesus Christ do this. Jesus Christ literally calling a lying and cheating and swindling and stealing sinner to come and to follow him. And yet, maybe even just as shocking and just as surprising here, church, is the fact that Levi then just simply gets up 
and verse 14 follows Jesus Christ, as in he, Levi, just simply gets up and gives up his job, gives up his profession, and gives up his income, and just seemingly out of nowhere decides to walk away from it all and to follow Jesus Christ which certainly causes then the reader here to think and to contemplate and to wonder, like, what on earth has just taken place? Because if you take a step back and really think through this one and consider the context, the scenario, and the two main people involved, I mean, at face value, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in that Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the God-man, literally God in the flesh, that he would stoop down so low to call to himself a wicked and vile and unclean tax collector, and that Levi, this tax collector, then would just willingly out of nowhere give up everything and follow Jesus Christ. I mean, it just begs the reader to ask the question here, for how is any of this even possible? And the answer to that question, church, is by the grace of God, by the grace of our God. And I say that because we are all church, whether we be tax collectors or murderers, thieves or adulterers, deceivers or swindlers, revilers or drunkards, all dead in our sin, following after the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit and the sons of disobedience, and thus are all by nature, church, children of wrath, Ephesians chapter 2. For we are all born into to sin, Psalm 51, slaves to sin, Romans chapter 6, lovers of sin, John chapter 3, and thus will never, ever, ever, church, stand up and follow Jesus Christ as long as we are still dead in our sins, Ephesians chapter 2. And thus, the key, the answer, and the only explanation out there, church, that makes any of this here in verse 14 possible, or makes it possible for anyone else, for that matter, to stand up, to leave behind the world, and to follow Jesus Christ is but God. But God. For as Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 puts it, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. For that is the only reason, Christian, you, me, Levi, and every other Christian out there today can stand up, walk away from the world, and willingly follow Jesus Christ. And thus, to paraphrase John MacArthur here, although this man named Levi may have been barred from the Jewish synagogue, and although he may have been viewed as an extortionist, a traitor, and an outcast within his own community, that is the scandal of grace, that our God unapologetically saves those who don't deserve it, accepts those who the world doesn't, and eternally saves them from their sins. For it was God's grace and grace alone, church, that called Levi to Jesus Christ, that made him one with Jesus Christ, and that caused him to stand up and follow Jesus Christ and to ultimately become redeemed one of the apostles and one of the gospel writers of Jesus Christ. And thus let us never underestimate the power of the grace of God in any sinner's life. 
for its height is untouchable, its depth is unplumbable, its measure is unknowable, and when it comes knocking church out to the sinner, its beauty is simply irresistible. Therefore, thanks be to God this morning, church, for his grace to call us, for his grace to redeem us, and for his grace to make us his own, since it is only by and through his amazing grace that we as sinners can stand up, turn from the ways of the world just like Levi did, and willingly follow the King, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Jesus came not to call those who have convinced themselves that they are righteous, but instead to call those who know that they aren't. Jesus came not to call those who have convinced themselves that they are righteous, but instead to call those who know that they aren't. Verses 15 through 17. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So following Levi, walking away from his tax booth, withdrawing from his old ways of life and leaving behind him, as Luke chapter 5 puts it, everything, we get a change of scenery in the text. Whereas Jesus and his disciples are now at the house of Levi with, verse 15, tax collectors and sinners. Now what exactly are they, Jesus and his disciples and Levi and his merry gang of tax collectors and sinners all doing together? Well, as we see in verse 15, they are reclining at table, or more specifically, they are all around a table eating and sharing a meal together, because Levi, he seems to be throwing here some kind of celebration or banquet, or as Dr. Luke puts it in his gospel, a great feast, likely as a way to thank and or to recognize Jesus Christ for transforming his life, for calling him to himself, and for now being the man who Levi is going to follow, to learn from, and to ultimately serve. And thus the scene here seems to be pretty straightforward. For Jesus Christ simply seems to be eating and reclining and conversing with the tax collectors and sinners who were part of Levi's life, which is, church, the exact opposite of what the scribes or the religious leaders of the day would have done. And thus, when the scribes see Jesus Christ eating with these aforementioned sinners and tax collectors, they say to Jesus' disciples in verse 16, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we also see here, church, in verse 16, a bit more detail about who exactly these antagonistic scribes were. For as Mark writes in verse 16, these men, they were the scribes of the Pharisees. Meaning, as Eckerd Schnebel puts it, they were men who were ultimately focused on being separated from the unclean or from those who didn't practice the law, since it was their goal to pass on, preserve, and to further develop the tradition of the law. 
Therefore, when they, the Pharisees, see Jesus Christ, this Jewish man who had taught in the temple, this Jewish man who had been healing people left and right, this Jewish man who had been casting out demons, performing miracles, and claiming to have the authority to forgive sinners of their sin, now all of a sudden, just blatantly reclining and eating with tax collectors and with sinners, well, they can't help but ask Jesus' disciples here why. Since that is something that these self-righteous Pharisees would never, ever do at the risk of becoming unclean. To which Jesus Christ then, in hearing this question from the Pharisees, well, he responds to them with probably my favorite verse in the entire gospel, that being verse 17, which reads, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. For what a profound and powerful and piercing statement here, church, that Jesus Christ delivers right to the heart of the Pharisees. A statement, church, that we too must allow to penetrate our hearts as well because we will most definitely find ourselves, Christian, in a very dangerous place spiritually if we do not. For example, as David Burgess wrote, There once was a pastor who was called in to see a dying man of a terrible disease. Now the man in his youth had received a good Christian education. However, later in his life, he ended up turning his back on the church, which led to his story sounding a lot like the prodigal son as poverty and disease brought him low. However, in his misery, he thought of his father's house. And thus the pastor shared with him the words of our merciful God, which are able to save for eternity every repentant sinner. And thus the man ended up accepting the pardoning hand of God. And that night he fell asleep in Jesus Christ, to which his story then became well known throughout the community. However, one of the prominent members of the church, Mr. Goodman, ended up meeting with the pastor shortly before this man's funeral and said to him, Pastor, you surely aren't going to bury that good-for-nothing scoundrel, are you? To which the pastor replied, Do you mean Brother John? Referring to the man who had just died. Well, certainly I am going to bury him. Whereupon Mr. Goodwin replied, Well, if that man went to heaven, then I most certainly do not want to be there. To which the pastor said, Oh, fear not, Mr. Goodman, for you are not going to heaven. What? Mr. Goodman cried out. You mean to tell me that you think that miserable wretch went to heaven and that I'm not? Not if the sentiment of your heart, Mr. Goodman, is what you have just expressed. For remember, there is no difference amongst men, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For you see, church, when Jesus Christ said that he came not to call the righteous, 
What he was saying was that he didn't come into this world to call the self-righteous or to call those who believed that they could save themselves based on their own merit. Instead, Jesus Christ, he came into this world, verse 17, to call sinners, meaning to call individuals who knew that they were wicked, who knew that they were corrupt, and who knew that even their good deeds were nothing more than filthy rags, and to mourn church over their wickedness, who mourned over their sin and who desperately wanted to be cleansed of their sin and simply not try to cover it up. Individuals, church, who desired for a righteousness that was not their own, but instead for an alien righteousness, a sinless righteousness, a perfect righteousness, a righteousness, church, that could cover them, clothe them, and be imputed onto them, all so that they could be reconciled back to their God forever. For that is who Jesus Christ came into this world to call, to cleanse, to forgive, and to save. Not those like the Pharisees who convinced themselves that they weren't sick, weren't sinners, and weren't unrighteous. But instead, Jesus Christ came to call those who knew they were sick, who knew they were sinners, and who knew they needed to be touched by the great physician, Jesus Christ, in order to be saved from their sin. Therefore, let us never fail to rejoice over the fact, Christian, that we have been given the great needed to be convicted of our sins. For as Jesus Christ so clearly articulated in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. That blessed are those church who knew that know that they are morally and spiritually bankrupt because only those who do church will seek after Jesus Christ and thus become part of the kingdom of God forever. And thus, as we close this morning, I want to begin by addressing the non-Christian who was here first. A non-Christian who might be here this morning potentially thinking and believing and convincing themselves that they are well, that they are not sinners, and that they have no need of a physician Because the reality is, non-Christian, those who ignore their sins, who conceal their sins, and who are stiff-necked, hard-hearted, and don't believe that they have any sins, as the Apostle John put it in 1 John chapter 1, those people, they deceive themselves, they make God out to be a liar, and they prove that the truth is not in them, and thus remain dead in their sins and will ultimately be condemned to hell forever. However, non-Christian, the Apostle John, he also wrote in 1 John chapter 1 that if you confess your sins, that God then, that he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Because God the Father, non-Christian, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners from their sins. And he, Jesus Christ, did that, non-Christian, by initially living for sinners the life that they could never live. Meaning the law of God that we as human beings break over and over and over again, Each and every day, Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, he didn't break any of those commandments. No, not even one. But instead, he lived a holy and sinless and righteous life whereby he fulfilled the law of God, non-Christian, for the children of God. However, fulfilling the law of God in and of itself for the children of God, that alone was not enough to save sinners 
from their sins, for a payment still needed to be made, a price still needed to be paid. And thus Jesus Christ, in order to save sinners from their very sins, he himself then non-Christian, he paid that Christ, in that he, Jesus Christ, took our sins upon himself and bore the penalty that we owed for our sins, that penalty, non-Christian, being none other than death. Therefore, Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, he willingly then gave up his life, non-Christian, by being crucified on a cross at Calvary and dying a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute. However, non-Christian, being that Jesus Christ never sinned, and being that God the Father accepted Jesus Christ as the propitiation for our sins, as the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sins, Jesus Christ then, he did not stay dead. But instead, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers non-Christian eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Thus, let the Holy Spirit this morning, non-Christian, convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, and let him bring you to your knees this morning so that you can cry out to God, have mercy on me, for I am a great sinner. Because if you do, non-Christian, I can promise you, Jesus Christ, he will cleanse you, he will forgive you, and he will eternally save you. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And to the Christian who is here today, I'd like to close our sermon this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, by considering for a second the self-righteous, sanctimonious, and self-glorifying Pharisees. Because it has become rather easy for us today as Christians to kind of pick on the prideful ways of the Pharisees while we are at church, but to then go home and to brag to our neighbors about all the wonderful acts of service that we do. Or to wholeheartedly, as Christians, reject the practice of legalism, only to then make our brothers and sisters in Christ feel guilty about not adhering to our man-made preferences. Or to affirm passionately, as Christians, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall, only to pretentiously then think to ourselves, well, I thank God that I am not as unrighteous as they are. And thus, quite frankly, Christian, what is then, right here, right now, the temperature, the inclination, the overall disposition of your heart this morning? For is it similar to that of the Pharisees, who believed that they had no real sickness, possessed some inherent righteousness, and thus 
could look down on others? Or is the overall disposition of your heart this morning, Christian, one of gratitude because God had mercy on you when you were still dead in your sin? Or to put it another way, is the attitude of your heart this morning, Christian, one of meekness and thankfulness and praise, knowing that it is only because of God's grace that you have been saved? Or is the attitude of your heart this morning one of pride, self-confidence, and arrogance, whereas you believe that God is the lucky one to simply have you on his team. And the reason I am bringing all this up this morning, church, and asking all these questions, again, it isn't to beat you down or to make you mad or to get you to leave here today feeling upset or miserable, for my goal is none of that. But instead, my goal here today, Christian, is to help you grasp and to possess and to foster the type of mindset needed, the type of humble and thankful and gentle mindset needed in order to properly serve, love, and build up the bride of Jesus Christ, that being the church, and to not tear her down, Christian, with any of your prideful words, actions, or thoughts. Because the fact of the matter is, Christian, as the reformer Martin or as the reformer John Calvin put it, we can either be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, or excuse me, we can never be clothed in the righteousness of Christ until we know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own. That we can never be clothed in the righteousness of Christ until we know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own. Therefore, if you are sitting there this morning as a member of this church body with even a hint of the feeling or even a hint of the belief that you are inherently more righteous than others, more worthy than others, or that God is lucky to have you on his team above and beyond all the other church members who are here today, then you need to repent and you need to let the word of God convict your spirit this morning since we were all church, each and every one of us, foolish, disobedient, and being led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. For that is who we all were, church. And thus it is only because of the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior who appeared that we have been saved, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to God's own mercy, Titus chapter 3. And thus let me encourage you, brother Christian, sister Christian, to leave here today thinking and dwelling and meditating on the fact that Jesus Christ is the vine and that we are merely the branches, which means that apart from Jesus Christ, we can't bear good fruit, produce righteous works, or do any kind of Christ-like deeds, since apart from Jesus Christ, church, we can do absolutely nothing. John chapter 15. Therefore, let your confidence be founded and your actions arise, Christian, not from your own self-righteous works or deeds, but instead from the perfect, eternal, flawless, righteousness of Jesus Christ, which has been imputed onto you, Christian, unconditionally by God's grace. 
Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body continue to grow in humility, in meekness, in mercy, and in peace as we grasp more and more deeply that it was only because our God was rich and mercy and great in love that we have been saved from our sins and made alive together with Jesus Christ. Thus, let that truth, Father, penetrate our minds and pierce our hearts as we continue to put to death our pride, our self-confidence, and our self-loving ego. And if there are any hard or judgmental or self-righteous thoughts still controlling our ways of life, Father, forgive us, convict us, and give us the understanding we need in order to grasp that it is by grace alone that we have been called, by grace alone that we have been saved, and by grace alone that we now follow you. Therefore, let our boast not be in ourselves or in any of our self-righteous deeds, but in Instead, let our only boast be in you, God, the God who has given us, as your children, the gift of amazing grace. Let's pray, church. Father, our desire, our fleshly desire is to take credit for our salvation, to say, look what I did, look at how good I behaved, look what I accomplished, look at my merit. And yet your word tells us that the only thing we brought to our salvation was our sin that Jesus Christ died for. There is no doubt, Father, that we are saved by works, but they are completely the works of Jesus Christ. Those works and those works alone save us. For we are only justified and declared righteous because we have a God who had mercy on us and gave us the great need, grace needed to take us from death to life, to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. And thus, no one may boast. Lord, let that humble and meek and grateful spirit Be the spirit that controls us this morning. Be the spirit that helps us interact with each other, to build each other up in the unity of the faith. Not a spirit of haughtiness or pride or ego where we think we're better than this person or smarter or this, that, and the other over anyone else. Give us a spirit, Lord, of meekness, humility, and gratefulness knowing that we brought nothing to our salvation but our sin. It is a gift from you, God, that we have received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Amen. As we come to the conclusion of our service this morning, as brothers and sisters in Christ, why don't we...